Welcome to the On Your Left podcast, the politics podcast that's probably to your left. My name is Katrina Ames, and I use she, them pronouns. And my name is Narali Sheth. I use she, her pronouns. Just so you know, we post every week on Wednesdays, so be sure to subscribe and be sure to share with your friends if you want like a fun weekly podcast by two awesome queer millennials about politics. It is so, so fun to be able to be in conversation both with you, Norelli, every week, but also mm-hmm. our listeners, because we have a few listeners now, actually. Yeah, we have listeners, which is wonderful. Honestly, just true treasures. They probably know us somewhere from somewhere, but yeah. we appreciate <laughs> you so much. And if you happen to have a wealthy benefactor or know a billionaire that wants to support us on Patreon... They can do that at <laughs> patreon.com slash onyourleftpod. <laughs> yeah. Any wealthy benefactors. Like, tell, like, if the billionaire is listening to our podcast, they probably believe in wealth redistribution, and this would be it. This would be the praxis of that. It, it'd be so easy. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of you started off by inheriting your wealth. Instead of writing us into your will, just give us some money now. What's mm-hmm. I, what's a thousand dollars to you? For a billionaire, like pocket change. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Okay, so um, today we wanted to discuss the um, elephant in on the planet that we've been that's been on our minds for years and years now, and not a lot has been done about it. Climate change. I remember the first time I learned about climate change. Uh, It was my first year of public school. I was a cute little 10-year-old sitting in sixth grade, and I heard about this huge global problem and thought, oh, that's really bad. Luckily, the adults will solve it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be teaching us about it. They're setting themselves (laughs) up to be heroes. I was wrong. No. No. That was a lie told to you. I, it just, it seemed like science was also going to be, like, all of history class, where we just kind of only learned about good things we were doing. Oh, and not, like, ongoing problems that would affect us for the rest of our lives. As it turns out, history class is also that. (laughs) A good history classes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like, this year alone, we've seen, like, a lot of huge problems in climate change, like, uh, the Australian wildfires were this year. That was this year, Norali. Wait. That feels like it was three years ago. Exactly. Like that genuinely feels like it was three years ago. What is 2020 doing to our minds? I, nothing good. Nothing good. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian wildfires were this year. There's probably going to be wildfires again in California. Um, Mm -hmm. Last year, there was huge amounts of flooding all throughout the Midwest. We saw... stronger hurricanes. Stronger hurricanes. Uh, In fact, if you live on the East Coast and also in the South, you may be currently experiencing a hurricane when you're listening to this. And good on you for charging Uh, your cell phone in advance. (laughs) Yeah, the... The hurricane is, like, well on its way, creeping up the east coast, so it's gonna hit us soon. Hopefully it's just, like, normal, like, thunderstorms by then. Or, like, normal tropical storms instead of, like, a hurricane. 
but you know it's <laughs> yeah we we more have just... to deal with like the polar vortex uh mm-hmm. part of climate change where we have extreme weather events that result in people dying because it's just too cold outside that's horrible i kind of hate that i'm like used to talking about the weather and extremes yeah because this has been our like this has been it's been getting worse for our entire lives and that's just not not just nostalgia speaking that's like a fact oh yeah very factually extreme weather events have been getting worse and worse throughout our lifetimes and we're just still at the Mm -hmm. beginning of experiencing climate change and the worst effects that will come from it which um i'm not a fan of personally yeah but the adults didn't do anything about it so here we are the billionaires if, if jeff bezos wants to like fix this he could but he isn't. <laughs> We've seen that the solutions to these problems are going to have to come from structural change, from businesses, governments, really in the way of how we live our lives because climate change is caused by humans. Mm-hmm. Right. Just in case anyone didn't know. It's caused I'm shocked. I right. <laughs> it's caused by humans. We're making the problem worse, and we are continuing to do pretty much all of the things that got us to this point. Yeah, and and that we is not we as individuals necessarily. It's we as a society, we as a as humanity, keep doing these things because, like, turning off your light switches is great, but it's teeny tiny fraction of what's actually going on. I appreciate everyone who has and uses their reusable water bottle and didn't Mm -hmm. lose it at a parade last summer and never (laughs) find it again. It was a really nice water bottle too. It had a spray bottle element as well so you could have missed yourself as you were marching through parades. That's so fancy. Right? So other than, like, not losing your reusable water bottles and, like, using public transport if it's available, there's not much we can do because, again, things like public transport, which would actually change the way an entire city moves around and it would actually save energy, like, that's something that's not in our control, you know? No. I mean, it would also decreased traffic which yeah is less important on like the grand scale of things but it would make me feel better in like my day-to-day well, life should i ever have a commute again well it's like it's like the l woods exercise gives you endorphins and endorphins make you happy no traffic gives you endorphins and endorphins make you happy and happy people well they don't shoot their husbands but also they help save the planet. They, yeah, they probably want to do more to save the planet because they're not annoyed because they're not sitting in traffic all day. I've always been very productive when I'm on the bus, finishing homework, uh, oh, yeah. listening to podcasts, not being worried that I'm accidentally going to crash into the car next to me because 
I'm momentarily distracted when I remember the horrors of climate change. So productive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll, uh, like, just existing in New York is to exist in public transport. And I miss the amount of stuff I could get done on public transport. Once I edited an entire video on public transport. Oh, that sounds amazing. Because I just had my little laptop. And I was just editing away because I knew I had like an hour commute. But instead of sitting in traffic during that hour, I was editing a video. One of the reasons we're talking about these kind of systemic changes is because we are currently seeing what the world is like when so many people are quarantining, are under stay-at-home orders, and what that effect is on our global climate. Yeah, because like Katrina said, you're like you're not um, you're not experiencing traffic right now because you're staying at home and working from home, and that's the case for a lot of America and a lot of the world still. Yeah, and we're seeing a real difference. So, Norelli, what have what have scientists found about how we are affecting the climate change with our actions during this pandemic? So, so during the peak of global confinement, where pretty much everyone in the world was at was in a stay-at-home order, um, in the first quarter of the year, um, which is we are in the third quarter of the year now, by the way, like we are almost done with the third quarter of the year. Um, <laughs> I don't like that information. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Um, but. A, a good thing is that daily emissions were down by 17% f- uh, from last year, according to research published in Nature Climate Change. This was one of the biggest single drops in modern history in the amount of carbon dioxide humans emit. So just because for three months, most people in the world weren't using their cars every day to go to work and come back, seventeen we were down 17%. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, with that, we also have uh, people flying less often, doing less traveling Mm -hmm. in general. We didn't need to heat, cool, or turn on the lights for most office buildings. So there's been a huge reduction in cities. Overall, a lot of things, because of the stay-at-home orders, because of non-essential businesses being closed, has made climate change a little bit better. It's made our planet a little bit healthier. Um, Yeah. A a little less bad, I think. A little bit less bad. It's still pretty bad. uh, Because, you know, 80% of our global emissions were completely untouched, even with everyone under a stay-at-home order. But Mm -hmm. the International Energy Agency estimates that by the end of 2020, global emissions will decline by about 8% compared to last year. For a total of 12 months, 8% is huge. It's amazing um, just to have this estimate because that does surprisingly put us on track to slow climate change. And I think one good thing about this pandemic, there's very little good about it, but one good thing is that probably is that a lot of workplaces are realizing that they don't have to have everyone come in every single day. Not everyone has to drive their car every single day. 
people can work from home and function from home, like, it's still fine. So, like, hopefully that trend continues a little bit, even once all this is over. Yeah, I would really love uh, if after this is done, there were more jobs that people are able to do from home because it has been proven that at least some of our jobs we can absolutely do from home. Yeah, my workplace started reopening today um, on a volunteer basis, but like the vast majority of people are still not coming in because we are still in a pandemic. Um, and um, But like our work is fine with that. They just wanted people to have the option to go to work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. A lot of jobs you can do from home, and it's fine. Maybe let's talk about kind of why this news isn't as optimistic as it seems on the surface level. Yeah. So, all this sounds great, but even though emissions have dropped, CO2 is still going into the atmosphere, and it'll still accumulate there. It's still a greenhouse gas, and we are trapping heat onto into the planet, um, just as it has since humans started burning vast amounts of fossil fuels. I don't know what justifies the burning of fossil fuels these days. I mean, modern existence justifies it, but... <laughs> right now, we are seeing that Renewable energy is starting is more cost efficient on the industrial level than burning fossil fuels, which uh, is encouraging a lot of people to transfer over to that, which is amazing. But mm-hmm. decisions from individual businesses and individual companies uh, aren't enough to slow the spread on its own. We still need to do more research to make it cheaper and easier to access this renewable energy. And as optimistic as we've sounded, and as happy as we are that global emissions are estimated to decline by 8% compared to last year, these giant reductions in daily emissions got us, as a planet, back down to the levels we were at in 2006, when I was a child, still thinking that adults would solve this problem. And now we're the adults, and... Honestly, I don't want to have to solve this problem by isolating myself from my physical community forever. Yeah. There yeah. has to be a better way we can do this. Yeah, I think I think the pandemic has shown that there are some solutions that can work long term. Um, but yeah, 2006 isn't great. We were still very aware of the problem and knew that it was a global catastrophe caused by humans that would result in... Um, the Arctic ice melting, glaciers melting at a faster rate, extreme weather events, um, natural disasters getting worse. And now we're seeing the effects of those things that we knew were going to happen, and I don't like it. And we need to do more because what happened in 2006 caused what we were experiencing now. Yeah, so 2006, for reference, um is the same year Taylor Swift released her first album. So not that long ago. <laughs> I just wanted to double check that. <laughs> but yeah, not that long ago. These were still very clearly issues at the time. But it's something. The reason why we are talking about this today is because we are currently 
and have been in a climate emergency. And we don't have very long um, to get things to pre-industrial levels before things go horribly wrong on this planet. Things are already going horribly wrong, but we gotta do something. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has warned that global temperature rises should be limited to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 1.5 degrees Celsius um, beyond pre-industrial levels in order to keep the worst, most devastating effects of climate change from battering human societies. And to hit that goal, overall human-caused greenhouse gas emissions needs to drop by 7.6% each year from now until 2030. So for 10 years, we got to do the same exact amount of reduction as we have this year. We're not prepared to do that because, like, I have my neighbors have thrown multiple parties. Nobody's wearing a mask. Half of the people in my community, I think, have just given up on the stay-at-home order. Despite the fact that cases are spiking in our area, people are planning large events for the fall this year, and I have been invited to some. We are in no way prepared to keep uh, self-isolating and staying at home in order to stop the pandemic, much less the global emergency of climate change. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like as a society, we have the attention span of something, of myself, something with a really low attention span. <laughs> um, it's, it's not just that and, you have ADHD. It's just we as a country do. We live in a society that should have the same diagnosis as I do. <laughs> um, but, like, but it's also that, like, people need to make money and people, because we live in a society and people need to go to work and do these things, even though they know they, they shouldn't because they know we're in a pandemic. It's not just people throwing parties, it's people going to work because they have to, which is just terrible. Yeah. And shouldn't be happening. <laughs> a lot of the hot spots we're seeing of the coronavirus are happening in vulnerable populations, like uh, in meatpacking plants where workers have to stand mm -hmm. in incredibly close proximity to each other in buildings that honestly aren't very well ventilated. Um, if they're happening in senior homes with people who just are more susceptible to getting diseases because they are largely old and generally live close to each other and within prisons where people are not there of their own volition and are often not giving, given the tools they need to combat this. We're seeing that the vulnerable communities are the most at risk and are the ones suffering from this pandemic. We're seeing people of color are the ones who are People of color are the people who are most likely to catch coronavirus and have to deal with COVID-19 within their own homes and families. And that's largely because we're also essential workers who cannot do this work from home and who are at higher risk because our government has largely failed to do anything uh, on this pandemic. And even mm -hmm. though we stayed at home and 
trying to slow the spread and flatten the curve. All of those things were to buy our government time and to buy our systems time to implement a plan. And we all did what we were supposed to do, but they forgot to make and implement a plan. Yeah. And then at the same time as the federal government isn't making a plan, Disneyland's reopening, which doesn't help. We've just all been let down in such significant ways. Um, So let's talk about Joe Biden. (laughs) Speaking of which. (laughs) Look, we are less than 100 days to the election on Wednesday, August 5th. When this episode comes out, we will be 90 days away from the election, the November 3rd general election. And that means we're going to start talking about specific politicians and general national politics. Yeah. It's not a secret that Biden wasn't my first choice, largely because I looked at the whole field of candidates in the Democratic primary, all 24 of them at the time. <laughs> at the, There were more. There were so many. But at the time, I looked at the field of candidates, and I applied for a job, and I decided to work for Kirsten Gillibrand. And then when she dropped out, I looked at all of the remaining candidates. There were like 16 at the time? Something like that. 12? There were- Yeah. There were some. There were- Mm -hmm. There were too many, some could say. (laughs) Uh, but- I I think debates were still two nights at that point, so. Yeah. There were that many. There were that many. Uh, and I, once again, I went and I interviewed with a couple different campaigns and I decided to work for Julian Castro because the campaign offered really good benefits and also I believed in him. So, uh, Biden. Biden. So we're gonna- He's not our first choice, but he is our choice. He's our first choice now. He's our- (laughs) He's our first choice now. And uh, yeah. he recently released his climate plan. And it is it is surprisingly progressive. Uh, it got praise from Jay Inslee, who ran his whole presidential oh, wow. he he ran his whole presidential campaign just on climate change. And he said that this is actually a real substantive plan. We're not gonna go into all of the policy points, but let's let's talk about some of the big things that he wants to do. Yeah. So the overarching goal is to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. So that means whatever we are putting into the air, we are also taking out of the air carbon wise, which is an incredible goal. Um, And 2050, I feel like is a pretty doable deadline. I wish it was a lower deadline, but 2050 is a good deadline. So according to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, we do need to reach net zero emissions globally by 2050. This is also what is set out in the Green New Deal. Okay. So it is very much so on point for what we want to do as progressives to reach net zero emissions. Some candidates had more ambitious climate change plans to reach net zero emissions earlier uh, so that we could really lead the planet on it. 
But I am not in any way upset that we... No, I'm not mad about this. Yeah. Um, this is, I think... Achievable goal? Yeah. And also, um, in order to get to net zero as a nation, there needs to be a lot of policies to be passed. And a lot there's a lot of fighting that's going to happen. So, um, we... <laughs> like, this is just the start of pushing for climate change action. It is, like, very doable. It is possible. Mm -hmm. And really, if we're gonna do it, we need to start work on it this year. Yeah. Um, And I'm glad it is 2050 because then it is a long-term plan. Yeah. Like, there, there are going to be laws in place that will force the country to continue doing the work after Biden's pre- presidency, however long that is. Yeah, it's it's definitely a long-term plan, which is good because this is a long-term problem. Um, so one way that we're hoping to achieve net zero em- emissions is by making infrastructure investments. I want to like help rebuild the nation. I want to have roads and bridges and airports and have our buildings, water, transportation, and energy infrastructure to meet green standards, to help us Mm -hmm. achieve net zero emissions. But also, what's really important, uh, and what Biden highlights, is that these things need to withstand the impacts of climate change. We need infrastructure in the North, East, and Midwest that can withstand the problems of blizzards yeah oh yeah (laughs) in california we need infrastructure that somehow survives the wildfire season and the what and earthquakes and earthquakes and in the south we need things that will protect people during hurricane season we need all of these investments and to make them now because we know natural disasters are going to keep getting worse If you don't create infrastructure that lasts, you're going to end up creating more emissions because you're going to have to rebuild over what what just broke over and over and over again. So we need a sustainable solution for that. And this is still all very in line with the ideals put forward by the Green New Deal because these infrastructure investments will also create jobs. Narali, do you want to talk to us about what a Biden administration will do globally to help stop climate change yeah so um we're gonna rejoin the paris agreement remember that (laughs) i miss that i miss the paris agreement um which is uh where the vast majority of countries on the planet have agreed to look just basic climate change standards um they've agreed to pass laws and do things to stop climate change from happening. Um, So the United States will recommit to the Paris Agreement on climate change with a plan to lead other countries into setting more ambitious climate targets than already exist and integrating our climate change policies into our foreign policy, national security, and trade strategies. I think trade strategies is really important because there are so many American companies that are like worldwide global companies and what they do, what they 
their policies will affect the entire world because they're massive. Pretty much every fashion company is also a global company. And it's not like mm-hmm. we're going to stop wearing clothes. Uh, yeah. But creating clothes and clothing production is expensive. Uh, it ta- And it, it has a huge impact on climate change. Yeah, it's horrible for the environment. The manufacturing of like textiles, the majority of which goes into clothing, accounts for 1.2 billion tons of greenhouse gas emissions annually. And that's more than international flights and maritime shipping trips combined. That's a lot. <laughs> yep. Stop buying fast fashion, please. Even then, even if it's not fast fashion, it does still have mm-hmm. some contributions to the problem because yes, yes, it always will. Um, yeah, but trade strategies, setting more ambitious global climates, and trying trying to lead again mm-hmm. would mean things get better for everyone internationally, uh, as it is no secret that the majority of clothing that Americans buy is not produced here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would make a huge difference to workers globally to be implementing green strategies. Do you want to introduce us to um, the budget side of environmental justice? <laughs> yeah. So these things will be expensive. Like, it's there's no secret that preventing a disaster costs money. It costs less money than having to deal with a continual disaster as our problems keep getting worse. But it is not an inexpensive problem to solve. So uh, Biden's proposal will make a federal investment of $1.7 trillion over the next 10 years. So it's a long-term plan. It will continue after his administration is done, uh, regardless if he serves one or two terms. He will... He also plans to leverage additional private sector, state, and local investments to total more than $5 trillion. It's a lot. But we can pay for it. The climate plan is going to be paid for by reversing the Trump tax cuts for corporations, reducing incentives for tax havens, evasions, and outsourcing, Ensuring corporations pay their fair share into our economy because I somehow have paid more taxes than Amazon. <laughs> and we all have. Yep. If you're listening to this, you've paid more than Amazon in taxes. It's incredibly statistically <laughs> likely. Unless you also paid zero, in which case, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, we, we are going to close loopholes in our tax code that reward wealth and not work and labor. And along with all of that, we're going to end subsidies for fossil fuels because it doesn't make sense to subsidize a dying industry that when there are cheaper alternatives that are better for our planet. One thing I do wish was in there was like taking some money out of the military and putting it into... (laughs) climate justice but that's this is american politics that's not gonna happen (laughs) but this is amazing though this is so progressive i mean jay inslee would never lie to us 
Yeah. This is a real plan that is completely achievable. Uh, honestly, we'll probably have broad support as climate change is one of the top issues of the largest voting bracket in the country, uh, which is 18 to 39 year olds. Gen Z and millennials were the largest voting block. (laughs) It happened. Now we get to decide and we get to we get to get our people in charge and get our laws passed. Yep. For our future. Which is amazing. Yeah. As long as we vote. Let's talk about how you can act on climate (laughs) change. So like we said, if you are listening to this episode on August 5th, 2020, the day the episode comes out, that means there are 90 days left until the 2020 general election. You should check your voter registration status and make sure that your friends and family are registered to vote. Please vote in, in the general election. Um, you can also contact your senators about H.R. 9, which is the Climate Action Now Act. It passed in the House in May of 2019, and it would require the United States to be a part of the Paris Climate Agreement and require the president to develop a plan to achieve the agreement benchmarks. Um, So that's for our current president. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to happen in November, so we have to push for this regardless of who the president is. We definitely need to vote on it. And of course, we want to take not just the presidency, but we want to take the senate too Mm -hmm. but we don't know what's going to happen and your senator should know if you're a climate change voter they should know if this is an issue you care deeply about because then they know that they have to act on it and the last thing you can do uh is talk to your federal and state legislators your state legislators love hearing from you they do not get as much attention and you can build a real relationship with your state legislators it's surprisingly easy these are the people that actually care about your community because they're living in your community so if they see a community member talking about climate change they're going to want to do something about it all right should we should we do our good things yeah i'm gonna start with my on-brand uh thematic good news so the search and the search engine Okija or Ecosia. I don't actually. Ecosia. 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 Yeah, yeah I think that's. I've only seen it written now. We're doing our best. Um, <laughs> so they are a search engine that uses most of their revenue from advertising on their website and app towards planting trees, trees that are native to the region where they are planting trees, um, and. In July, they planted their 100 millionth tree. That's a lot of trees. So many trees. Yeah. And the fun part about Ecosia is that when you search for something on it, you can see how many trees you've helped plant. Because every time you search, a tree is planted. So fun. Yeah. So, like, I, I erased my, like entire search history last week but since last week i've helped plant 102 trees because i'm curious about the world which is cool 
your good news is going to be the same as last week's because yeah. nobody got to hear it. And I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> Just pr- it's fine. So what's your good news? So um, speaking of trees, uh, a certain a certain uh, artist that we all know that I love um, released a very tree aesthetic uh, album called Folklore. Taylor Swift did that. And now she is number one for her single and her album on the Billboard charts and the top 200. And it's amazing. And I'm very proud of her. And she has been number one for three decades in three different genres. Because she is just that amazing. She has achieved number one in the early 2000s, in the 2010s, and now in the 2020s. In country, pop, and 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 alternative, which is what this new album is, and I think it's my favorite album by Taylor Swift. Um, it's very moody. It's like Phoebe Bridgers and Lana Del Rey, but make it Taylor Swift's lyrics. So I love it very much. Um, what else can I say about it? There's so much to say about it. It's like almost overwhelming. Do you have any questions for me about it? Okay, so I guess I want to start by saying that I think this might also be my favorite Taylor Swift album. Oh. So, but I've always been very into, like, indie music and alternative soft folksy Mm -hmm. music. And although I've liked a lot of her music throughout the years, it hasn't been, like... It's not your genre. It's not It's not my genre. I like her. Mm-hmm. I will definitely listen to her on a road trip. I will watch her new music videos. But Folklore is definitely the album she made for me. Yeah, that's how I feel about this album, too. I was like, oh, she like saw my Spotify history and was like, this is... I'm writing this for you. <laughs> and she wrote this album in four months. It, it, it's a purely a quarantine album. The entire thing. There are 16 songs. It's a very long album. It's amazing. It's really a culmination of like her skill and all of the mm-hmm. things she's done through the year. Because even though this album is a lot softer, mm-hmm. you know, softer than a lot of her previous work, a lot of people have been able to like trace elements through her history that have directly informed what she made and how she's grown as an artist and what elements she took from her own work because why wouldn't you oh taylor is so self-referential and like i could go on for years about how exile and the last time are like the both perfect breakup songs breakup duets because like ah they're just both so good and you can directly see the red influence on this album but also like the 1989, like, the the lower songs on 1989, the softer ones, really make their way onto this album. Like, there's so much there. All right. All right, let's move on to the mango fact. Yeah, what is the mango fact? Um, so the mango fact today is that um, Egyptians love mangoes. It is... Egypt's favorite summer fruit, according to EgyptianStreets.com. Um, 
there, this article outlines 15 different varieties that are available in Egypt. Um, and uh, mangoes, and it says that, hang on, mangoes spread to East Africa around in around the 10th century AD. So mangoes have been around since the thousands, is that, or the 900s? 900s. Since the 900s. So that's cool. Oh, and... Uh, but, like, more recently, um, mangoes were, introdu- were reintroduced to Egypt in the 19th century, and they were sourced from Sri Lanka, which is pretty cool. I'm glad Egypt is enjoying mangoes. It truly is a global sensation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of On Your Left, all about climate change. We hope you learned something and are willing to spread this information and share our podcast with other people so they can learn things too and have opinions and stuff that are informed. If you want to see more from me, you can follow me at Katrina Ames on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Where can we find you online, Nerali? So you can find me at Firewood Sparkler on Twitter and YouTube and um, next week somewhere else too. Ooh, mysterious. Mysterious. (laughs) And you can always follow our (laughs) podcast on Twitter at OnYourLeftPod or support us at Patreon.com slash OnYourLeftPod and we'll be back in your feeds next Wednesday.